0: It's time to sit down and relax for
1: the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A with your host, Doug.
0: Hey there, Doug here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Happy Monday. And it's kind of sad, but it'll be back next year, our second annual Scary Sequel Month. We covered a lot of great films. I interviewed amazing people. And this Thursday's final sequel is fitting. It's Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And the interview is with the most amazing guy. And his story is one that I did not expect. When we started the conversation, I do my recon as much as I can. So I knew he was in Vietnam. I knew he was the desk clerk on ER. He was Frank Martin. He was in Ace Ventura Pet Detective as Roger Predactor. He plays the principal in Twin Peaks. And so much more. And that's actor Troy Evans. Ah, Troy is amazing. We talked about growing up in Montana. His earliest dream was to be the first ever Western candidate for the president of the United States. And uh, that changed. And uh, he is great. Troy was such a blast to talk to. So I'm going to shut my yapper. I'm going to start the interview. But don't forget, if you're liking this, All the stuff that we do, please subscribe, rate us wherever you listen, share with your friends. And now, actor Troy Evans. Hey, Troy, how you doing? Honestly, I'm old and tired. (laughs) (laughs) But I like to talk, so. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This is going to be a blast. Okay. Awesome, man. So uh, what I like to find out with people when I talk to them is how they got started, you know, where they grew up, what was their inspiration to get into, you know, what you've been doing for what, 40 some odd years now. So, uh, so where'd you grow up? Kalispell, Montana. Wow. So what was it like growing up there?
1: Well, it was interesting. That was, uh, uh, it was a small town at that time. It was like, uh, 7,500 people, I think. It's uh, grown a lot. It's more like a, like 60,000 there now, right up in Northwest Montana, almost in Canada and almost in Idaho, outside Glacier National Park, lots of lakes, you know, really, really a nice, nice, beautiful place to grow up up there. But.
0: So at what age were you like watching the TV or you went to the movies and you said, you know, I, I want to do that one day?
1: Well, that's not exactly how it happened. Oh, cool! Uh, First of all, we when I uh, when I was growing up, we had no TV. Uh, I'm I'm old enough. I remember sitting around the radio. Oh wow! Let's see. I you know the the one that sticks with me vividly is when uh, and I don't know if you're even aware of this, but the Russians beat us into space. Oh yeah. They launched the Sputnik before we were in space and people freaked out. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, the Russians are gonna rule the universe and we'll you know, live under their subjugation. It's oh it's horrible. And, that's, and I can remember sitting around one of those big wooden radios uh, that the front would open up and there was a record player in there, you know, yeah. uh, but like a like a cabinet uh, radio from the forties. And listening to that, oh my! It was like listening to the end of the earth. Oh my wow. God, the Russians are up there. But my my aspirations as a kid. My grandfather was a, a state senator in in Montana. Oh wow! Interesting guy. You know, as a kid, he had worked on a stagecoach. That's that's how far back. And my great grandfather was a, a sheriff in the capital of Montana before it was a state when it was a territory. Oh wow! So my roots go way, way deep in Montana. Yeah. And because of my grandfather, my aspiration was I was going to go to law school, go to the university of Montana, Missouri, get a law degree, get in the legislature, uh, get in the state Senate become the governor and then be the senator from the state of Montana. Wow. Uh, you know, and from there, I was going to be the first uh, Western candidate for president of the United States. That was my plan. And uh, I, uh, uh, this, this all sounds so provincial. Now, I remember when I left for college, 1966, I had a 1950 Chevy. And when I left to go to college, my folks gave me a hundred dollars.
0: Oh wow! And that was supposed to last you the whole semester, I bet.
1: That was to go to college with hundred bucks. Yeah. And you know what? I you could do it in those yeah. days. And I and I was I had a little rock and roll band. We were way ahead of our time. We were called Gang Green. What'd you play? I, I played guitar nice. real badly. The rest of <laughs> the band was actually pretty good. And I was the guy. I I, I uh, did all the bookings. I had the car. I had the PA system. I, you know, it was my band. And uh, I, I was allowed to have a microphone in front of me, but I wasn't allowed to turn it on because <laughs> I'm essentially tone deaf. Yeah. And uh, I can, and one of my vivid recollections that we are playing a, somewhere some night and I'm in the middle, we're in the middle of some rock and roll song and I'm just wailing on the guitar and the sax player turns and he just screams at me, B flat god damn it, B flat and <laughs> we were thinking well see, I, yeah I could play in B flat if you want what, what difference does it make <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so that wasn't really my calling but we, you know, we were actually quite popular and I, I paid through my, my first year of college with that and uh, then I got drafted, got shipped to Vietnam. Oh my god. And when I, when I came home from Vietnam, I was in Vietnam for 17 months with the 25th Infantry Division and uh, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, but just to put it in Perspective for you. In the 17 months I was there, the 25th Division lost over 4,000 uh, soldiers killed. That's roughly the number of people we've had killed in the Middle East in the past 15 years. Yeah! Wow. So that was a, a you know 1968, 1969. That was that was a smoking year in the Republic of South Vietnam. And by the time I got back, I wasn't aware of it. But I was a completely different person. Really? And, uh, and I was, uh, I, 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 I guess the best way I can say is I wasn't entirely sane. And I, and I, immediately, started, I immediately started drinking. And then I, I opened a rock and roll bar. I had the only rock and roll bar for like a 150 mile radius in Northwest Montana. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was, it was, uh, uh, oddly enough, it was called the powder keg. And it was, that's where, you know, all the rock and roll people, all the drug dealers, all the people looking for drugs, all, you know, all kinds of, rednecks looking (laughs) just looking to get laid with some hippie chick you know and it was a it was a freaking madhouse in there Wow. and uh and I was uh well in some ways you could say I was equipped to deal with it but I you know I was uh I was pretty out of control and I I uh uh, I got in a lot of trouble over a period of a couple of years. And finally, a guy uh, started some trouble in there. And in the course of throwing him out, I broke both his legs. Oh my God. And, uh, and threw him out in the street. And he was an attorney. And so I ended up in Montana State Prison. This is about 1972. I, I don't know how aware you are of this, but when, you, when you're really drinking a lot, you don't sober up overnight or over the weekend or even in a month or, you know, your brain is a cobweb. Yeah. And so I was, I was down there in that license plate factory for like six, seven months. And one, one morning I woke up, and I'm sitting in that crappy little cell and on the edge of my bunk and the light bulb went off in my head. I went, Oh shit. <laughs> I bet I'm not going to be president now. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Divine, you know, so then I start thinking, well, what the hell am I going to do? You know, cause I, 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 couldn't have a bar anymore. That's not, you know, a felon can't own, have a, a, a bar license. Yeah, I, I can't, uh, I, I can't be a lawyer. I can't uh, be a police officer. I can't go back in the service can't be an accountant can't be a teacher what the hell am i gonna do and it i thought about it for a few days and i thought oh man i'll bet nobody ever asked an actor if he's had a felony conviction <laughs>
2: yeah. and so
1: do you know what a kite is Do you know what a kite is in prison the terminology no that's it that, well that's a, that's a message you send in the prison there's you fill out a piece of paper and you drop it in a little box. It's like the mail system. Oh wow! And uh, and you you might hear it in movies. You'll hear a reference to a snitch kite. That's when you write down something bad about somebody and slip it in there. And <laughs> if nobody if somebody sees you doing it, then you get knifed in the yard, you know. But Jeez. this, I just sent a sent a kite to the warden requesting a copy of Hamlet. And I still have that that I've, I've got a copy of Hamlet and a stamp in the front inmate Evans' permission to have in his cell, Hamlet. Oh, my God.
0: That is amazing, Troy. Yeah. After all these years, you still have it.
1: To be or not to be? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, got out, went to uh, uh, Montana State University down in Bozeman where they had an acting department and spent a year there and at spring break i had an old girlfriend who was in berkeley and uh i took a break from montana and went down and saw her and uh there was a guy auditioning for a little theater department he had a a a theater a summer theater going in a, a community college in Santa Maria. You know where Santa Maria is, don't you? Yeah. So I, uh, and I, I had no intention of, you know, I was at Montana State University. I wasn't going to go to some junior college, but I thought it was a chance for me to practice my audition pieces, you know? So I went in and I auditioned for this guy. I still remember I, I went in and I did uh, uh, Hotspur uh, from Henry Four and a little piece from the opening of the matchmaker and uh, Donovan Marley was the gentleman's name who, who had started this theater and, uh, and he said uh, that's in- I finished these two pieces he says that's interesting he said uh, what's your song and he had a guy on a piano with him you know and I uh, I said well I I, I don't sing <laughs> and he said oh he doesn't have to be prepared song you know just a little happy birthday or anything just You know just so I get an idea of what your range is and and I said maybe you didn't hear me pal I said I don't sing (laughs) and I didn't think much about it because I wasn't trying to get the job you know and I look over and (laughs) the accompanist looks like he's about to pass out he's like you think should I be calling security or <laughs> where, where did this clown come from? You know, yeah. <laughs> but I get back to Montana and and they sent me a uh, a contract. Wow! And I knew one guy in California who taught theater at uh, Hartnell College in Salinas, and so I, I called him up and said, you know, this guy wants me to go down to Santa Maria, and he said. If Donovan Marley offered you a job, you have to take that job. Oh man. You have to take that job. So I drove down. I didn't have a good feeling about it. I was sure I was going to drive all the way down to this junior college, and all these kids are going to be doing all the good parts, and I'd be spear carrying. And, and but I got there and you know to this day, in fact. Uh, are you watching Bosch? Yeah. Yeah. Eric Overmeyer, who is the guy who, who uh, uh, created the television version of Bosch from Michael Conley's, uh novels. Yeah. That's a guy I met in Santa Maria. What? And I got my job on China. I got my job on China Beach because of someone I met in China. In the, Santa Maria. I got my job on ER because of Santa Maria. Uh, it's it's and I met my wife in Santa Maria. Oh so my god! That was a that was a pretty good audition. Yeah, I think so. You know, and, yeah.
0: Wow. So that so, that changed uh, it all. So what year is this ballpark wise? Like seventy
1: four ish. That was 19, 1976. Okay. Is was my first first season at Pacific Conservatory of Performing Arts in Santa Maria. Yeah.
0: So when was the first time that somebody said, "You know what? You should try auditioning for TV series."
1: Oh, that well, that didn't happen that way either. It just, of course, every you know, all actors are thinking about that. Yeah. And uh, and so what I started doing. Uh, the other thing that, that happened because of Santa Maria is, is Donovan hired uh, directors from all the, the better regional theaters around the country. ACT in San Francisco, it, he hired uh, Jim Dunn, who you're probably too young to know. The California Actors Theater was up in Los Gatos, was a really good theater. Uh, South Coast rep uh, down in Costa Mesa, um, Center Stage Baltimore, the Milwaukee rep. Uh, the Seattle rep, ACT Seattle, all all those theaters. Those by being in Santa Maria, you would get to work for all those directors. So what I started doing, did two or three seasons there in Santa Maria, and I started getting these other jobs around the country in the theater. Oh, nice. And then anytime there was a hole in that, then I'd go down to to L.A. and start you know, banging my head against the wall there trying and uh, you may you may know I wasn't the only guy in LA trying oh, to, get I know. Out to, to get in the TV business. So I I I got a, a, a pretty decent agent. Well, well I mean he was a terrible agent, but what he dealt with <laughs> was entry level character actors. That's what he liked. Guys like the guys could play the cab driver, the bartender the the sheriff, uh, the you know n- never never the main cop but yeah, the yeah yeah second or the third cop the third guy through the door hold it that guy hold it <laughs> and and I start so I started kind of making a, a living doing that uh, but then to try to get up even to where I was auditioning for co star parts which are like four and five line parts yeah I just wasn't getting it. And then uh, about uh, 80, 81, something like that, I get this audition for L.A. Law. L.A. Law was the biggest thing in the world at the time. It was just a huge phenomenon. And the part is sensational. It's all the way through, and it looks like, it's like the comic relief uh, part of the series. There are all these serious lawsuits. And this is a plumber who's completely screwed up the the plumbing installation in this health spa. So when they have their grand opening, the toilets are flushing into the jacuzzis and there's all these plumber jokes and poop jokes and stuff in the (laughs) courtroom all the way through. But then in the end, when we lost the case, my attorney who was Michelle, I think her name was Michelle green and a real petite actress, real, real, Attractive, who was one of the one of the lawyers in the you know in the law firm. Uh, uh, She goes back to her office, and I show up at the office, batter the door down with a length of pipe, and try to kill her. Oh my god! She has a gun in her and kills me in the last scene. So it's this. I mean, you don't get that kind of an arc on a. Well, I've never been anywhere near. a a part like this yeah so i worked and worked worked on the audition i knew i wouldn't get the part but i was so excited because that somehow i had moved up the ladder enough that i could audition for something like this but then i got the part and then i got on the on the set and somebody introduced me to uh the writer who was a woman named michelle gallery and uh uh I, i went over to michelle and uh, told her how much i loved the writing and i and i was so excited to get to do this part she's oh I'm, I'm glad that you like it i wrote that for you and I like, she wrote that for you oh, yeah well I, you know it didn't make any sense As somebody i didn't know how how could she possibly have written it for me you know and she said well uh you know a few months ago we went on vacation up to San Inez, And while we were there, we went to the theater and you were there doing, uh, all my sons, uh, you know, Arthur Miller's great, great play. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that, that part inspired her to write a part about this guy who seems like a funny, charming guy, but in fact, he's willing to kill, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and not only did it give her the idea, but she handed it to me. And then that uh, that changed my chemistry in town. Then from then on, I went in on guest starring parts, and then that led to to me being on on uh, China Beach. Yeah, a, as a series regular. And
0: what was that like? Like the first time you landed a series regular gig?
1: Well, yeah. Well, it was. Uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about that. This is uh, life's funny. First of all, my first day on, uh, on China Beach, it was not a series, it was a, a sergeant and Dana Delaney and Marg Helgenberger had, had to go back to the States from Vietnam for something. And uh, so they were putting them through this, they had to run through this like shower thing to get disinfected. And uh, I was just this sergeant, and they knew that that I'd been in Vietnam, so they just hired me. It wasn't even scripted. I was just yelling random Army shit at these (laughs) these two while they're running through being sprayed with this disinfectant, you know. And uh, I was called at at 6 a.m. on Friday, and then I didn't go to the set. Until noon on Saturday, so I was I was there thirty one hours. Yeah. Before I started to work, so I was hired, and I can't remember the actual uh, numbers now. It's a long time ago, but I was hired for like five hundred bucks to do this one day's work. Well, I'll tell you when you when you have a union. When you go past 24 hours, you know, you go past 12 hours, you're making good money. It's so it went from like $500 to like twelve or $13,000 I made wow. that, for that, allegedly that one day's work. Just what I had to do was just sit in this little tiny trailer, a honey wagon actually, and just be patient.
0: Yeah, well, I think you've and done then, worse. But I think I, I think you've been in tighter quarters, so I'm sure that was. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. So I uh, uh, so and then uh, then they had me back a couple of times. They they made me the mo- they liked me and they made me the motor pool sergeant. And then uh, and then the next year, uh, they hired me as a series regular as and wrote a nice storyline for me and everything. And but it was. Uh, it was kind of hard on me that I found those, those Vietnam situations where we'd have scenes where there was a, a lot of gunfire going on and stuff. Uh, uh, it's a more upsetting than I would have expected it to be. I'm sure. You know, and, and then, and there's another thing that I, that's, it kind of, and and i i don't have any uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound bad I don't have any ill feelings against anybody or anything like that i like all, all those people are nice people yeah but they had all done the pilot and they formed a real tight group and they all you know had been working together as a team for a year or more before i was there and so it was kind of ironic that I was the only person there who'd actually been in Vietnam yeah. when I was act- I was kind of a misfit on the set, <laughs> you know? And it wasn't, a, I, 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 I don't want to sound like, it wasn't like they were crappy to me or something, but they had their friendships and they had their, their thing going. And I never really fit into it. So I was still, I was very happy to have the job. But it was—it's kind of a ironic little oddity in my career that that I uh, uh, I never felt really accepted on that show.
0: Yeah, you know what's funny? I I work I I, mean, I work with uh, actor Larry Hankin. I'm helping him like put together like his like career. So we talk like once a week uh-huh. for a couple hours, and he was on like the first. So he has a cool story about Friends. Cause he was on like the first two weeks of friends when they actually filmed. And then he came back like in uh-huh. three, then he came back like season four for like episodes. He was on a total of four of them, but he said, it was funny. The first year, everybody was so green. Everybody's so new, talkative, really nice to you. Second time, they're a little put off. And then the last time he was there, they only kept to themselves and they like huddled up all the time and I get it, but it's it's got to be hard for co-stars and you know guest spots.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you you have to uh, adjust to it, and and uh, some, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's you know I'm fine with it. They're not being paid to entertain me, and, yeah. and vice versa, you know. But uh, then there there are people who just. Um, uh, uh, you know, like who leaps into my mind is Dick Van Dyke, who, you know, Dick Van Dyke spent his entire life on those sets. Yeah, I know. And I've worked, i I've worked on that show, uh, you know, the show where he was the doctor who solved murders, whatever. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't, oh, Diagnosis Murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I call it, I call it Murder, He Wrote, <laughs> uh, you know, because that's the kind of, and uh, I, I did that that show a, a couple of different times, and uh, you know my my, my uh, analysis of it is, uh, his whole life he spent on those sets, and he comes out, and the cast chairs are there, and there's some guy sitting there who's working that day, and that's his friend. That's awesome. You know, and he came out and he just talked to me. We just, I mean, we just had a lovely time. It was as if we'd known each other for like uh, uh, 40 years, you know, which wasn't the case, but just, you know, nice, easy, casual conversation. And then at the end of the day, go home and that's it. Then we, uh, you know, don't see each other again ever. No, (laughs) that's cool. But but just totally at ease on the set. So,
0: Troy, when I do when I do like recon and I like uh, look at people's like careers and IMDb, you've been in over 160 yeah. things, so I'm sure this is not something that you might even think about. But I think it's really cool. So the first credit you have on IMDb is on Lou Grant, and your character's name is Tom Pepper. And then, yeah, on China Beach, you're Sergeant Pepper. So that was like a cool thing because yeah. that was a big moment in your career, you know. Once you landed that series regular, and then it's pretty cool.
1: Yes, yes. And Lou Grant, that was a big deal to get that Lou Grant. That yeah. was the first, you know, first crack in the wall. By the way, the, the agent I was talking about in those early years, uh, and, uh, and his name was Dick Lovell, and he was, you know, he had a whole cadre of people like me i'd call it the lumpy faced guys club you know <laughs> and he had this little tiny office down on highland and he had uh, all his clients pictures on the wall across from his desk and a, a lot of the casting directors let him just go ahead and cast those little parts really uh you know the 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 cop who, who shows up and has one line they, you know so he calls okay you're on uh, uh, Facts of life tomorrow. Uh, be there at six thirty. Don't chew gum. <laughs> say 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 stuff like that to you. And uh, he, uh, I don't think he ever made a deal uh, that was. Uh, you know what scale plus ten is?
0: No, no, is that you get paid? Sounds like
1: it's uh, it's yeah. You get union scale plus ten percent for the agent, and then uh, you know if you have an agent, you get they they have to add the ten percent for the agent. And that's and and that was as far as his negotiating went. And there are numerous numerous uh, stories about. It. Here's a, a couple of uh, an actor named Will Ute that I know really. I uh, thought about about this. and had been with Dick two or three years, and he and he set up a meeting and went in. And Dick said, "Will, what's what's on your mind?" And Will said, "Dick." the thing I would like you to understand is that I would like to be successful enough in this business that I make you a millionaire. And Dick looked at him and said, well, I don't need the money. (laughs) 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 And I had a similar meeting. I went in and said, know i had been working along and then i had like three months of nothing and uh, i went in he said what's the problem Troy?" i said well i was working i was you know getting a a couple of jobs every month and then just stopped no auditions no jobs nothing he said well troy it's pilot season (laughs) well of course i wouldn't want an audition during pilot season Of course not. Dick. Oh my god! When I, I finally left
0: Oh, you left him? When? Right. What part of what part of your career did you leave him? Like
1: China Beach wise? Like the late eighties? Uh, You know, I don't remember exactly when I when I made that break, but but er, or early early eighties, I would say eighty five would be the latest I was with him. And when I went in and, and told him I was leaving, he said, "Why are you doing this?" I said. Dick, I want to have a, a a bigger career. I want to be in movies. I want to do guest starring parts on TV, and and he said, "Well, why didn't you say so?" <laughs> so At least he was funny. <laughs> oh yeah, he was he was a funny guy, but he got you know he got people started and. Uh, there was a guy named Bobby Hoffman, and Bobby Hoffman was famous. He cast Happy Days, oh. and uh, and then that made him uh, the king of Hollywood for like twenty years. Uh, and Bobby Hoffman, after he cast Happy Days, then for years he cast. If they could possibly get him, they, he was considered the king of comedy. And at some point. Uh, Dick Lovell got me a, not an audition, but just a general meeting to go ahead, go in and just meet Bobby Hoffman. So he'd know who I was. So I go in and I sit in the office, uh, sit there in the chair and he takes five or six phone calls and makes a couple of phone calls and in and out of the room. Finally, after 20, 25 minutes, he comes in sits down says, well. He picks up my resume. He looks at, he says, Oh, Well, Troy, I I see you're with Dick Lovell. I said, yeah. He said, oh, that's a good agent. That's a good agent. And I'm thinking, well, I I like hearing that. You know, he said, yeah, you know, Dick's got pretty good actors. They don't cost a fucking thing. (laughs) Okay, then. Uh, Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for pointing that out. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) At least they were honest with you. He was probably more honest than he intended to be. Yeah, now, right. Uh, do you want to hear an, a, an epic story about the early part of my career? Yes. Uh, Heather and I had a little uh, apartment in Mid Wilshire. We had our rent was three hundred bucks. Wow. We didn't have it. <laughs> I got an audition for planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, yes and this wouldn't happen today but and it was a part the part was there was no dialogue it was just described uh that uh uh steve steve martin and john candy are hitchhiking and uh, uh and this mr Oshkinogan, the cheese truck driver picks them up and gives them a ride but he makes them ride in the back with the cheese they haven't yeah. written any dialogue And, and that, but I went in an audition for John Hughes and which today you never see the director, you know, guys at my level, you go in, there's, there's some teenager there with a camera and you talk into the camera and then they may or may not look at it, you know, know? but so, so we go in and John Hughes sort of explains the scene to me and says, uh, you know, we can try, you can uh, ad lib something if you want to. Well, there's an old uh, plumber's line you you probably heard. Where a, a plumber will say, "Hey, listen, it might be shit to you, but it's bread and butter to me." Pal. <laughs> and I I just I just stole that that little line. I, I I said, "Okay, you guys, all right, I'll I'll give you a lift." And I said, "But you be careful back there. That might be cheese to you, but that's bread and butter to me." Pal. Nice. And John Hughes thought that was fabulous.
0: That's awesome.
1: So they hire me to play Mr. Ashkenogon and I'm going to make a thousand dollars. I couldn't freaking believe it. You know, that's three months rent. Yeah. For for one day's work saying, if I get to say it one line, well then they called me a couple days later and said, well, we've decided to shoot that in, uh, in Buffalo, New York. And uh, first I'm thinking, so, so I, I I don't get the part. They said no 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 you'll do it. But I, you know I I was so green I knew nothing. I'm thinking how the fuck am I gonna get to New York? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's gonna blow the hell out of my thousand dollars. And uh, Dick Lovell explained no 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 they'll fly you to New York and you'll get a thousand dollars for your travel day and a thousand dollars for your travel day back. I'm like holy shit <laughs> now I'm making. A, I'm making $3,000. Oh, my God. So I fly to Buffalo, New York. They put me in this little hotel. And this teamster comes to the door and he hands me $150. bucks. i am like, hey, hey, hey. You know, this, what's going on here? I'm supposed to be getting 1000 bucks a day. And the guy said, that's your per diem. I didn't know what per diem was. <laughs> he said, it's your spending money. Spending money? i get spending money? Holy shit. I'm in Buffalo for two weeks. They don't shoot the scene. Oh, my God. All I'm doing is sitting in my little room, adding the money up over and over, not believing it. You know, $10,000, $11,000. Wednesdays, you know, 12000 $13,000. Oh, my God. Well, then they call me down to the production office and say, well, the company's moving to Chicago. So again, I think I'm off the picture. You know, So I go back to LA, no, no, you go with us. Two weeks in Chicago, St. Louis, Missouri, Kankakee, Illinois, Woodstock, Illinois, <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, Quail Hollow, Ohio, 11 different cities, 51 <laughs> days on the <April> movie. <laughs> 51 days, I make $51,000 plus, uh, uh, what is it like $2,500 in spending money?
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, and you know, to this day, I've never made that much money on any other movie. Really? Normally when I make a movie, I, I make about 30 grand. I make, you know, five or 6,000 a week is, uh, yeah the range that range that i'm in i get five or six weeks on a movie and i haven't had one of those for for years but that my very first movie and i oh man so when i when i left town when i left town we couldn't pay our rent and i came back and we bought a house oh that is so amazing thank you john hughes yeah thank you john hughes i've heard some
0: cool stories about him
1: yeah uh, oh and i you know they're, they're also as i got educated as i went along i realized that there's a clause in the in the union deal when they hire somebody on a daily like that and then it gets prolonged they can convert you to a to a weekly contract which is less than half as much money uh so the whole time i'm just waiting for that hammer to fall and i'm walking down the hallway in a hotel one day and this guy walks past me he turns around and he said excuse me he said are you troy evans i said yeah and he introduced <laughs> himself to me and he was the line producer i said "Well, oh, very nice to meet you and he said troy he said are you on a daily or a, or a weekly i said Oh, I'm on a daily meal. And I know the, the jig is up, you know. And he said, well, I, I, I have to get you converted to a weekly. And I was just dicking around, you know. I said, Neil, don't even mention it. Don't even bring it up. And he looked at me and said, well, no, I, I guess that wouldn't be right. So I made like an extra fifteen grand. Oh my god. Just by being just by being a wise ass. That's so uh, cool. And that movie is not you know, the residuals are based on like if I'd done the original deal, worked one one day in LA, a thousand dollars, shot the scene and that was it, I would be in the residual pool based on making a thousand dollars. Oh, that's I'm how it in works. Residual pool based on yes. After this is how I understand it. After the producers have recouped all of their funds, uh, and you know that's a tricky thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> some of them never quite manage to do it. But after that, then all the money that comes in, two percent of it goes into a pool for the actors and it's distributed prorated on how much they made on the movie so the Jeez. star who made a million bucks he gets a good chunk and the people who were on running the picture they get a good chunk and I should have gotten a little tiny piece for my thousand dollars but instead I'm in it at the $51,000 level <laughs> and that means like every, every year when they play that on on tv for thanksgiving which they oh, yeah. do now that's like one of the for sure and that's uh uh like a four or five hundred dollar check still
0: that's like a premiere thanksgiving With, movie that's like the christmas story yeah. thanksgiving
1: yeah yeah and by the way i'm i'm sitting in the uh Radisson at the at the uh, at the o'hare airport in chicago uh, and, and, uh, uh, it's the night of the Oscars and the phone rings and it's John Candy, who I had never met. And he said, yeah, Troy, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm having a few people up, uh, uh, for the Oscars and wondering if you'd like to come. And I'm like, holy shit, yeah, I'd love to come, it was, you know, in the same hotel, stay in the same hotel. And I'm thinking... You know, I thought, well, the producers will be there. and Steve Martin will be there. You know, and uh, uh, I was real excited about it for professional reasons, you know, uh, young actor, ambitious actor, you know, and I go up there. And no, there are no producers there. The director wasn't there. Steve Martin wasn't there. You know who was there? It was all people like me. Oh. He invited all the people on the movie who were nobody, who were sitting alone in that hotel, and he knew it. That is awesome. And, 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 he, and he ordered a metric shitload of room service. And, of course, I had more money than I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, uh, so as I'm leaving, after the Oscars, I offer him a couple hundred bucks to help out with the room service. I'll remember this as long as I live. He said, Troy, that's been taken care of.
0: Oh, man, that is so cool.
1: That's been taken care of.
0: I wonder if Larry Hankum was there. He was in that movie.
1: Ah, I don't remember.
0: But that's cool, man. You can ask him. I will. I will ask him on Saturday. like, hey, do you remember Troy? Do you remember the Oscars party in John Candy's room? What a story to tell.
1: No, no, no. What, what what's your friend's name? Larry Hankin.
0: Yeah, you know him. He's in a bunch of stuff. He's a, like you mentioned before, like what your uh, agent said. He's in a million things. Yeah. He's been in over two hundred different things. If you if you Google him, you saw his face. You'd be like, oh, I know that guy. He was the guy in planes, trains, and automobiles that drove that car, the taxi, like the decked out taxi with like the red velvet on the inside he picked up uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. Uh-huh. Yeah. But so one thing that's on your IMDb that I always remember you from, even though it was probably something, I don't know how long you shot it for, but it was in Teen Wolf as the coach of the dragons. Oh, yeah. What What year did yeah. that movie actually shoot? Because I know they held that movie for a few years. Oh
1: uh really
0: yeah they had they waited on it because they felt because i think michael j fox was doing another movie at the time that was going to have a wide release and that film needed to be able to sell it and they couldn't sell that that time because michael j fox wasn't anybody just yet so they had to wait i'm sure i could just google it but uh so what was that experience like because i know that was a low budget movie
1: Uh, oh yeah yeah, it says 1985. Yeah, yeah, that's when it came out. That's that's funny. Let's see. You know who else is uh, uh, is in that movie who I just absolutely love? is Jay Tarsus.
0: Was that the other
1: coach? Tarsus. He was the other coach. The oh, real, dude, he's the, the, the best. Coach. Oh, you know, he was a, a long, long time... Uh, 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 writer, you know, for Mary Tyler Moore. uh, uh, Yeah, let's see. uh.
0: Now he's funny and he's another one. I interviewed recently a guy that took over one of the roles of Michael J. Fox's buddy in the sequel and Jay Tarsus characters got recast. I don't know if he didn't want to come back or how it worked out, but he was so good in that movie. Just the stuff that he would talk about.
1: Yeah, look up look up Jay Tarsus on on IMDB and you'll see he has a uh, an unbelievable number of, of writing credits. And let's look at his producer credits. Public Morals, Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. Oh, he's a
0: Bob he's a Bob Newhart guy. He started on Bob yes. Newhart. Oh wow, yes. that's
1: awesome. Tony Randall show, uh, Bob Newhart show. Carol
0: Burnett. Yeah. Oh, he actually and wrote he was, Muppets Take Manhattan. I never knew that. Look at
1: that. And he, he oh, he's so, so funny. I, I saw him. Uh, uh, there was this incredibly beautiful woman who was a makeup artist on Teen Wolf. And then this was like first day or second day, something like that. And she's standing there. Jay Tarsus is standing there. And he just turns to her and he says, I'd eat bees for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a pickup line for you. Oh, man. If I was single, mm-hmm. if I was single in 21, I would definitely use that often.
1: <laughs> I'd uh, eat bees for you. Oh, yeah. I, I, he's just a wonderful guy.
0: So when that movie's done, you're, you're obviously there for the you're the coach for the scenes and you know I know there was a stunt double that playing the actual basketball. but what do you think that movie would actually be because I know the budget was like shoestring. they shot it pretty quick, right? Was't it only a few
1: weeks? Oh, I, I think probably probably six or eight weeks. Oh, was that long okay? Yeah, probably the the same thing I always think. I just think, well, you know, it's. I'll, I'll tell you the. I'll tell you the one I really got shot down on was Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and uh, 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 Carrie going on and on and on about it. This this movie's going to do two hundred million, and I'm thinking, what are you smoking? Well, it's probably done two billion. You know. I know. Oh man, he was. He ever right?
0: What was that movie like? Uh, like. That experience, because he was still pretty green at the time, right? That was his first big. He was hit pretty moment. green,
1: but, but he was incredibly, uh, incredibly uh, hardworking and funny.
0: He doesn't turn it off, right? Was he Ace Ventura twenty four seven? No, not not exactly. Oh, that's good. But
1: um, uh, but what what he would do is. Uh, um, you know, between takes, you would see him. it's going into a zone of where he's thinking about, okay, that's fine. What can I do that's funnier? Every 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 single take would get a little bit better because he would think of something a little bit better to do. But yeah, I, I I have a high regard for him. Yeah, Roger Patacchio. Very then, very.
0: It's funny. In a few years, obviously, that came out in '94. And then you just told me, obviously, you got shot on LA Law. But I watched your scene from uh, from Halloween Five, and I'm like, this guy gets killed by Michael Myers. Then a few years later, he gets killed by you know Ray
1: Finkel. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, right. I I forget that that I was I was dead. You did I mean, die. I mean, yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. Are you in the sequel? No, I'm dead. <laughs> they killed me. I'm dead. Oh. But that was yeah, that that was that was a happy experience.
0: No, I bet. I bet. It's just he 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 seems like he I don't know if you ever saw his documentary that was on HBO called I think it was on HBO, Man on the Moon, about him filming that movie. And he never got out of character when he was Tony Clifton, uh Andy Kaufman's alter ego, and it is it's almost like scary how in character he is. He showed up like piss drunk, doing the voice, not stopping it. It was it's wild to see an actor get that mode, but I'm sure a lot of ac- actors do do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's not as uh, uh, it, I think it's not as common as it used to be. Yeah, uh, you know that's kind of a method acting kind of. Uh, but you encounter it sometimes. And I, I just figured, you know, there's there's no one way to do it. You know, I, I know what I do. I know what works for me. I know what my, my process as an actor is. And uh, uh, that's, uh, I, I'm always a little put off when, when they're like acting teachers who have the answer. You know, yeah. no, there isn't an answer. There's, you know, there's only, there's only the work, you know, and, and how, however, it, however it works for you is fine with me, you know, and if what you're doing makes me uncomfortable, that's my problem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. so we, we touched on it a little bit before you mentioned, obviously that, that opportunity you had in Santa Anita, uh, to, you said it led to a lot of things. Obviously you met your wife and that's the most important thing, but then it led to ER. So what was that like? You had, you were on the
1: pilot, right? The first episode. I was the first episode. I was uh, Noah Wiley's first patient. I was a cop who'd been shot in the leg. And, you know, traditionally on television, uh, you could be on a show uh, this season, uh, be in an episode and be, Mr. Smith, the second grade teacher, and then next year you're on the show, but now you're a a bartender or or something, but on ER, they had a strict rule. You could only be on that show as one person. Oh, wow.
0: So that worked out for you. you.
1: And so, so then, so I, so I played that and I, and that was, uh, John Wells, who was the creator and his, his first wife had been at Santa Maria. That's how that opportunity came yeah came around and uh uh he he asked me if i'd do that that uh it was a little part but i i was happy to do it and uh then like uh i guess four or five years later yeah had been ruby who had been playing the desk clerk uh left the show and they they called me up about 11 o'clock at night you know uh are you interested in uh Uh, in in being the you know the desk clerk on er (laughs) and i was like well you know i i'd I'd really have to think about it hell yes (laughs) you know and so and i did i think i think i did 129 episodes
0: of that's crazy all those years later and and then it works out that way
1: yeah and uh, i'll tell you a little you, you know uh that and i'm very appreciative of that that show and that show paid paid for our house but uh in the early years they were paying people like crazy and by the time i got there they'd kind of tamped everything down they were trying uh. to get a little more control of their money and so i was really the lowest paid actor on that show and there are nine seasons and never never got a bump in salary Oh, no, no token no, nothing at all and and it was bugging me a little bit and uh uh my wife explained it to me she said troy I said you know you're right you are getting fucked but if you're going to get fucked this is the way to do it <laughs> <laughs> You're right. sounds like you're a lot of fun
0: that's awesome
1: uh, on a on a soundstage at Warner Brothers with with a really good caterer, you know, <laughs> how bad could it be?
0: So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. Troy, two movies that fascinate me on your IMDb. I mentioned it a little bit before, but so you were in a horror movie, and you were killed by Michael Myers. What was that like? Were you a fan of
1: those movies at all? No, no. no. no as a matter of fact, uh. They appall me, and I oh. can't imagine why anybody would want to watch one, <laughs> uh, and and I uh, and why somebody would uh, spend their creative energy making a horror movie. It's just, I mean the whole thing is completely lost on me. So is that your only one? You know, people Oh no! Let's see. I'm in Near Dark. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, and, and, and there's a um, a missed opportunity there, because that's, uh, oh, come on, Troy. What's her name? Um, the director of Near Dark, do you know?
0: Uh, let me pull it up.
1: Uh, let's see, I've I, I got it Oh, Catherine right Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow. oh my god and that was near dark was her was her first movie that was her first movie and uh, yeah yeah and so uh, and I thought I did a nice uh, nice job in that but haven't haven't never seen her since and uh, she's an Academy Award winner now I believe
0: yeah it's funny when you go to the near dark IMDB page, you're right there. Yeah, your face is on the trailer, yeah. like the the st- still image. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: And I and I love that scene. That's my, uh, I I think of it as my Ben Johnson scene because <laughs> I'm you know I'm a cop and there's this guy in the bus station and he's obviously fucked up, and I don't fuck with him. I talk to him a little bit and I give him some money, you know, tell him to go home. And, you know, it's kind of nice to have, to not have the obligatory, not be the obligatory asshole cop. You yeah. Know? So I, 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 I like that scene.
0: Yeah. And you've played a cop a lot. Was it because your, your early agent, he got you that one cop gig or in the early? Oh, 80s? no,
1: it's good. I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm uh, I, I, wor- I worked on a show called Life Goes on that had a, a kid in it with Down syndrome. And uh, so th- then that raised my awareness of that I, you know which one of those thing has just been outside my experience yeah and uh, 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 so then, so then this is going back like 20 years. I'm coming out of a, a restaurant. And they're waiting, you know, in the waiting area, waiting to be to be seated as a family. And there's a kid there, about you know, twelve or something, obviously downsy. And so I I I stopped and spoke to him. I said, uh, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" And he looked at me and he said, "You look so much like a cop. I can't believe it." (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man. You should be a casting director, my friend. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I look like a cop. I, I had a funny experience. I, a year ago, they had a, a Christmas party for Bosch in downtown L.A. Oh, and nice. I took the train, and the train stop is like six blocks from where the party was. and I went over you know, about 7 o'clock go to this, go to this party, and by the time I left, it was about 11 and in the interim the street had turned into a sea of aggressive homeless people so by the time I get back to the uh you know near the train station I've given away any kind of small money that I've got and I still I have a 50 in my pocket but I'm not going to give somebody this $50 bill out there in the street and this big guy steps out in front of me says hey give me a buck and I said I'm I'm sorry, I don't have a buck. You don't have a buck. No, I don't. He said, I might just look in your pocket and see what you've got. Oh my God. You know, it's not legal to claim to be a police officer. That's, that's actually a felony. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, but what I, I did was I, I said, uh, can I ask you a question? And he said, what's that? I said, Are you so fucking stupid that you don't know what a cop looks like? And he's vaporized, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite improv moment of all time. That is good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I look like a cop.
0: Yeah. And it worked out for you. You did it a bunch. And one movie. Yeah. uh, One movie. And thanks so much for taking the time. This has been a blast. So Under Siege is a movie that I I love. I, I watched it a month ago. I watch it a couple times a year just because of that cast and just everything about that movie is just absolutely insane. What was that experience like, you know, working with Seagal and Busey and Tommy Lee Jones?
1: Um, Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic. Yeah? Now, he's incredibly intense.
0: He looks it in that movie, uh, he's intense. He's in the band and he, yeah. like – Turns really quick, and he has like this the way he talks in that movie is kind of the way he acts as Two Face in uh Batman Forever. He has like this, he's really, yeah, yeah, he, he very intense guy.
1: Uh, let's see, uh, who else did you ask about? There's Seagal and uh,
0: uh Gary Busey, and and,
1: and 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 Gary Busey is just, just not right in the head, you know, at that time, right? I, I know.
0: At that time, because yeah. that accident, I think, happened in, like, 88, 89. So you can tell when you watch that movie, he's a little off.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he was just, uh, in my experience, uh, just really arrogant. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's had success in the, in the movies, yeah. but he, it's not like he's a huge movie star, and he really wanted to be treated that way Ugh. i know I, I talked to a guy down there had a, a motorcycle dealership and he said that busey came in he looked at, at, at you know what all through these orders. it took like three hours and then picked out this big harley and which is you know expensive big expensive bike and then got really pissed the guy wanted him to pay for it oh my god he thought this guy should just give him a Harley because he was there in the shop and he was Gary Busey, apparently, or, or give it to him for you know to use while he was in Louisiana or whatever, Jesus. which uh, uh, you know, and uh, 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 Seagal, don't even get me started. Oh. Seagal is not a nice person.
0: I've heard a lot of stories about them. I worked. I, I've interviewed. Uh, William Sadler who was the bad guy opposite of him and Hard to Kill he had some stories about him and then I interviewed a, a writer Michael Grace who wrote Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2 and then he wrote Mark for Death a Seagal movie and Seagal had the the balls while on a flight from New York to LA to take Michael Grace's script and try to rewrite it so he would get writing credits which is insane
1: yeah well there there you go and, and that's that's way down the list of the shitty stuff you know you know like I'm sure you know about stunts you know stunts are carefully worked out and, yeah. and uh, uh you know the intention is nobody ever gets hurt and there's there's no reason for hard contact ninety nine percent of the time and all, and they carefully lay all this stuff in and then when they roll the camera they kick the stunt man in the face you know Jesus and and you know what's what's the stunt man going to do? You
2: know, no, if no. he
1: complains about it, then he, then he, then he doesn't work anymore. You know, it's there, total lose 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 for for the for the stunt guy. And uh, Segal was was shitty to me. He was pretty much shitty to ever and and uh, oh that young woman who was she was like a Playboy model or something. Yeah, was, a, uh, you
0: know, I never came seen out of the cake and. Yeah, Elena. I think that's her first
1: name. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and she was really was really a nice person, and and he was just a pig about that. Yeah. You know, you know usually if you're going to do a, 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 a scene like that requires nudity, you have the fewest number of people on possible on the set, yeah. um, basic human courtesy. And he invited all his buddies down. Yeah, yeah, we got, you know, like they're acting like they're in a strip club or something, you know? It's like, oh, no. You,
0: you know what the issue with him is? And I don't know, it's not like you deep dive people's IMDb's. And again, I'm just a guy sitting in New Jersey. So I'm like, I only can hear what people tell me. But I talked to a guy that directed him in a bunch of movies, like his straight to DVD movies in the, in the mid 2000s. He like never paid his dues. He, like, his first movie did really well. He went to, I think, Warner Brothers or Universal, one of the studios. He did, like, a demonstration a lot, and one of the producers just said, wow, this guy's going to be something. And then he had Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Mark for Death, Out for Justice. Like, all of his movies did well, and then they just fell off right away. But that's why he acts like that, because he has that ego, because he never was on a Lou Grant or... Ah, uh, William Sadler. One of his first things was on the—he uh, was on the Newhart show. He was a man who fell downstairs. That was like his character name. So people don't pay their dues. I guess they don't understand what other people feel like. Maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. I and mean, he just, he, yeah. Well, I feel a little weird telling you the story. We're this deep in it, so I'll tell you. It's a scene where Tommy Lee Jones. It's at the end of the movie. Uh, Seagal has gotten us out of the laundry room. And uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is getting away and we're going to fire this big gun at the, uh, he's getting away in the submarine. We're going to fire this big gun and kill him, you know? Yeah. And uh, so in the script, uh, I say, uh, listen, you know, this gun is fired by an 81-man crew. You know, we try to uh, uh, shoot this, this thing. We're just as likely to blow the ship up as anything else. You know, and uh, Steven Seagal said something like, well, you know, we got gunning here and it'll take us through it, you know, one step at a time, we'll get it done, you know. Okay, fine. So they roll the camera and I say my line, which is in the script, and he says, says, you fucking pussy, you fucking chicken shit motherfucker, I don't even want you on my fucking team, get the fuck out of here, you fucking chicken shit pussy, (laughs) you You know." I've never done this in my life. I reached up. I put my hand over the front of the camera and said, cut. You know, and the, the director comes out from behind and said, well, what's going on? I said, I'll tell you what's going on. I said, I'm a Vietnam infantry veteran. All of this shit this prick does uh, for make-believe, I've done for real a hundred fucking times. And I will not be called a pussy by him in your movie or out of your fucking movie. Oh,
0: standing ovation!
1: And Steven Steven Seagal said, Oh, why didn't you tell me sooner? I would have given you a bigger part."
0: Oh, what a
1: douche! <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's unlikely we'll be working together again.
0: Yeah, I know, I
1: know. <laughs> So when
0: Especially, you, you know, he lives in Moscow now. Do you know that? I know. No, he's he's over there. He's Putin's yeah, he buddy.
1: Yeah, he's Putin, Putin's buddy. Yeah,
0: which is insane. Oh. So Troy, one two, one more thing before, well, two more things before I let you go. So when you get a movie script, so like a movie like that, do you do you look through the whole thing, or is it just you're looking at your part?
1: Uh, honestly, I'm kind of a lazy mfr yeah I, <laughs> uh, uh and, and i i and i've gotten in trouble i i got a pilot one time uh uh that shot up in canada and i i took the job and i went up and then i called my my agent i out there's a scene in the pilot I, w- I was a cop my wife had died and i go in a hotel with this hooker and then uh, while I'm with the hooker, I hallucinate that my wife is, comes in the room and is screaming, you know, as a ghost and is screaming at me. Wow. And I run out naked on the roof, and all these other cops are—I'm naked, and these other cops are chasing me around naked on the roof. And I'm like talking to my my agent at the time, a wonderful woman named Nancy Green. I said, "They got me naked in this thing." She's says, "Well, it's in the script." <laughs> so I'm like, I hadn't gotten to that part. Yet. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. She says, What do you, you know, what do you care? They can't put it on TV anyway. I said, No, but they can run my ass around on this roof in Vancouver, Canada for three days, shooting it in front of 150 people. You know? <laughs> <So> <laughs> they finally, and, and, they, and they hear, here's, here here's the uh, classic actor dickhead, right? So they say, Okay, all right fine you can be in your underwear and then we're shooting and i'm thinking well, why the fuck would i be in my underwear <laughs> you know, i should be naked you know? <laughs> well you know pick a lane troy pick a lane yeah
0: right <laughs> now the reason i asked you that because i wonder what it would be like on set if you didn't read the script and then because i love under siege but the one part of that movie that makes no sense to this day is gary Busey when he dresses up like a woman and wears lipstick and fake boobs for the for the admiral it just makes no sense and i feel like it's something that he just did and they just let him do it
1: yeah and i'm not sure yeah and i don't i i don't have that script so i don't i don't know and maybe i'll try to by the way that that guy who directed uh, under siege his name is andy something and he's a he's a very nice man oh andrew and davis he a guy, he, yeah andrew davis he was really a good guy yeah he did and the fugitive he, uh, yes yeah. yes and he you know he was an advertising guy in chicago oh wow and then he he took his own money and he started making movies with his own money is how he got started you know uh we've been uh, writing and directing commercials i think he ran an advertising agency and Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I really liked him. He's a, he's a quality guy.
0: That's awesome. Well, Troy, this has been awesome. One time, one thing I always ask people before they leave is, uh, obviously I say thank you. And then you already told me earlier what you wanted to do before acting. And in a way you kind of achieved that when you were on veep, you were a Montana congressman. Who else would get that part? But you
1: isn't that a scream it's unbelievable isn't that fantastic and you know it, that had a huge uh, psychological effect on me it's like oh well I did that worked it. out <laughs> yeah right i did it i did it not all not all the way to the top i didn't make the president but uh, i'm the i'm the and and they called me and asked me that yeah they want you to be the the uh, the senator from Montana on Veep. I'm oh, like, wow.
0: so you didn't audition.
1: What? So you didn't no, audition for that? No, that, no, and, which is very rare with me. I, I still to this day, I they uh, they make me audition for almost everything. I didn't audition for Bosch either. That was also an offer, which is kind of oh nice. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, and. Uh, I have to tell you, she is uh, Julie Louise dreyfus The greatest. He is the greatest, and and she works so hard, and she's still really, really nice. I'll, t- I'll tell you a moment from Veep to tell yeah. you everything you need to know about uh, Julie Louise dreyfus uh, This is uh, not the final season, but the season before I was on as the guy from montana and it was the christmas party and there's and and party scenes and weddings and funerals crowd scenes like that take forever to shoot you know they go on and on so this is about four o'clock in the morning she's been there probably you know since six o'clock the day before six a.m you know and it's it's like four in the morning and she's totally exhausted and she's in, in these freaking high heels, and and they have all the extras in there, and they're doing, they're uh, you know, just doing these pickup shots, you know, to fill in the, the, the party scene.
2: Yeah. And
1: she's sitting there, just, you know, flopped down in this cast chair, <laughs> and she looked up, they're shooting, she says, oh, oh, look what they're shooting. I should be in the background of this. And gets <laughs> up and runs over and basically does, background acting for the background actors. Oh, man. Right? I mean, I, that's just a level of professionalism and and generosity and genuine commitment to doing quality shit that's off the charts. Yeah,
0: her comedic so timing I is do, phenomenal. Oh, yeah.
1: She's... Uh, and... Just to bring us full circle, how would I know Julia Louise Dreyfus?
0: No way.
1: Her husband, Brad Hall, was an actor in Santa Maria in 1976. How does that happen? There you go. Well, Donovan Marley hired good people.
0: That's amazing.
1: The acting tree, his,
0: his tree is like the Andy Reed uh, coaching tree. Like all these people that have, that he, that he hired, look where they went and look at how you had all those
1: connections throughout your whole career. You know, I'll, I'll give you another example. And, and uh, Heather and I drove up uh, to uh, Paso Robles uh, about eight weeks ago and had dinner. Donovan Marley's still around and, and uh, Barbara Sellers, uh, who was who he's married to, and she was the theater manager. He was the, the producer, and uh, um, uh, one of one of the actors who was there uh, in the in the early seventies was this kid whose family had moved there from Tennessee. This little redneck ragamuffin from Tennessee named Boyd Gaines. And I don't know if you're familiar with Boyd Gaines, no. but Boyd Gaines went, you went, got in, started in the theater uh, there as a teenager in Santa Maria, and then and then went to the community college there, and then he went to Juilliard, and he now has has four Tony Awards. Oh wow! In four different categories.
0: Jesus! uh
1: uh Lead actor in a drama, lead actor in a comedy, supporting actor in a musical, supporting but for, uh, four different categories, four Tonys. He can do a coffee table with his Tony awards. Oh my god! And he came there. As a, he was a, he was this kid who could barely speak English. Yeah. So, he's, yeah. And he
0: was on L.A. Law. You know, and he was on, he was in yeah. Porky's.
1: Yes, oh, yes, man. he does. He's a, uh, now. By the way, uh, now are are you a Bosch guy? you been watching Bosch.
0: Yeah, I watched. I need to catch up on it. But now I've I watched it. I, I read the book.
1: Do, do you know who Captain Cooper is? Uh, I should know who Captain Cooper is. Okay, well you have to when you see Captain Cooper. Captain Cooper was also in in Santa Maria and he was in Porkys oh my god and now he's Captain Cooper on Bosch
0: just these connections that's so cool
1: yeah yeah there so you know if 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 there's any young actor listening here here's here's my two-pronged advice. For what it's worth. Yeah. Take every job, do the best you can on it. You know, unless it's just offensive, you yeah. turn it down. You never know where it's where it's gonna lead. Uh, and for Christ's sakes, be nice. It doesn't yeah. cost anything.
0: Yeah, and you never know when you're going to work with that person again. They'll be like, "Oh man, that guy was such a right. dick." But
1: <laughs> if you're a dick, you know when you'll work with him again. Never. Oh, yes. So,
0: man, Troy, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I love your posts on Facebook. I love your profile picture. It's it's really awesome.
1: <laughs> that's good. you know that's from ER. That is yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, if it, there's a little Photoshop in there, but uh, yeah, that was that was an episode of ER. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, man. Oh, hey, well, hey, thanks for including me. And uh, oh, thanks for I, talking I you to have me. A I'm look. a nobody. <laughs> uh, well, well, uh, that's not exactly true.
0: No, well, no, uh, I know, but it's so cool. Anybody that talks to me is awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> 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 you know. Uh, uh just before we go, I'll give you one other piece of unsolicited advice. Sure. Just for general life advice. If you owe somebody $20, they'll never forget you. So just go through life and just borrow as much money as you can. <laughs> and you don't see that person for 25 years ago. Oh, yeah. I remember him. <laughs>
0: right? Troy, you've been great, man.
2: <laughs> you were thanks awesome.
0: a lot santa marina santa marina wow talk about one place that troy goes to that just changes his life the connections he gets on veep and he just has all these little connections from that one thing and i love the story about him uh planes trains and automobiles he goes from a thousand bucks and then the hundred and fifty that they handed me. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was told a thousand. You're cutting me short, man. And then that was just the per diem. And he didn't know what per diem was. Just that he overcame, you know, being in you know, being in federal prison for what he did. And man, and the fact that he still has uh, that book, which is really cool. So Troy, thank you for talking to me. I appreciate it. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast. Follow us on all social media at sequelsonly, And check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night.